Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there. My name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Vanguard. I'm Jenny Rooney. I'm the Chief Experience Officer here at Adweek, and I am so excited to be joined by Doug Martin. Doug, welcome. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so good to see you. Um, thrilled you're here. Uh, we're going to get into it. Marketing Vanguard is where, you know, I, I speak with um, CMOs and CEOs who had been CMOs, frankly, um, about about the decisions they're making that are really sort of um, pushing their brands and businesses into meaningful new directions. And we're going to unpack that a little bit as we get into our conversation. But I would love for you to start by sharing with everybody a little bit about you um, and what you're doing at General Mills. Well, love to. Doug Martin, I'm at General Mills uh, going on 18 years here. In my current role, I'm the Chief Brand and Disruptive Growth Officer. So Chief mm. Brand Officer is a CMO type of role. And then Disruptive Growth, we have uh, an ecosystem where we're trying to start new businesses and find new growth. That's also a ton of fun and an interesting uh, area to play around in. I love that. I love that because we're seeing, obviously, we've We've seen so many titles around the CMO space. And, you know, I always refer to them as CMOs plus, right? CMOs and any equivalent title. Um, I, I must say I've never seen chief brand and disruptive growth officer. Um, is that something that you worked with, you know, your colleagues around and, and sort of to land on that title because you felt it was most representative of of what you would sort of oversee in the company? Yeah, and I think we had had some things around the company in various spots that were great uh, teams that we needed to pull together and have them in one place. Yeah. So that was what we did um, about a year and a half ago where we brought our internal 
organic incubator along with our venture capital arm and brought them together so we could think about a horizon of growth and what are bets that we want to place that are further out, what are things that are closer to our core, closer to you know, what I would call our proprietary gifts, and how do we sort of spread our bets across a continuum using all the tools that are available to us. I love that. Um, 18 months ago, the world was a vastly different place. I mean, I feel like every 18 months, the world changes, changes so dramatically. So, um, and you've been at the company, you said, you said 18 years? Yes. So, I know that because my first day was the day my nephew was born. So I'm exa- I've been here exactly as long as he is. Oh my Goodness. So well, in that's career a- terms, my uh, my career just got into college, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's a lot of um, pencil marks on the wall. Exactly. Yes. Um, so, I mean, that's totally unprecedented, I think, for CMOs these days. I mean, obviously, the big narrative, the headline is that CMO tenure is so low. It averages about two years, and people are two to four years, and people are constantly moving roles. Um, so you've really sort of bucked that trend. How do you think about that? Where do you think that has supported you um, as a C-suite marketing executive now? And um, where have you had to, you know, the extent to which maybe movement creates uh, new exposure to yeah. different companies and the way different brands operate, where have you sort of tried to make up for that um, and, and sort of gain that outside in exposure at the same time? Yeah, it, there's a pro and a con. And I would say, first of all, the first 16 years I was at General Mills, I was in an, a brand operator role, right? Owning the P&L, running the business. And I think on the pro side of things, that has helped me with the credibility of answering a question through the lens of a brand owner, a business owner, and not just, you know, whatever, the kind of like marketing guy. So I think that's been hugely helpful. On the flip side, it, it's exactly what you said. The world has changed so dramatically. So I feel like in the last 18 months in this role, I have learned more than probably in the five years before that easily, just because the tools that we're using to connect with our consumers are so different than what they were when I was, you know, a brand manager, a general manager at the center of the PNL when I started out my career. So I've really had to throw myself into learning a lot about that, particularly on the digital and technology side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, that leveling up, right, is, is a constant. I mean, every executive, marketing or, other, marketing or otherwise, needs to stay um, ahead of all those trends. And that's a real, that has to be a real conscious push, right? Uh, totally. As as- and, a, and a productive paranoia that you're like, I better keep <laughs> learning or I'm going to be irrelevant. So let's go. I love that. Yes. Um, I have a lot of that, um, that productive paranoia, but I like that terminology for it. Um, So let's get into it a little bit more, Doug, you know, um, obviously General Mills, talk a little bit about the company that is General Mills, because I mean, it, it, it itself is an iconic company with iconic brands. Um, Talk a little bit about the context in which you operate then. Well, it's interesting because when I uh, brought the Disruptive Growth Group together, the first thing I did was sort of take a look back at our history and say, how did we become this company, the company that we are today? And, you know, it it was a 150 year year journey. And, you know, we are in many in the Twin Cities because the Mississippi River literally powered the mills that ground our flour. So Mm -hmm. we are here and rooted in this community for a reason. But what was also interesting is going back and looking at that kind of 150-year journey, a couple of things really jumped out. Number one, 
it, you know, a commonality across that time is that we have really grown and thrived by serving families. You know, we are we are in, I don't know, something like 95% of American households. But when you have that couple of kids in the house, mm-hmm. then we really have a lot of solutions for you. And that's where we've we've grown in line with the American family. And then, you know, the second thing is sort of from day one, our our approach has been to solve problems for the end consumer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the guy who created that mill that ended up being gold medal flour he sent some people over to Europe to bring back the most modern milling techniques, and he created a, a, a grain, a, a flour blend, and his thing was, this will make 15% more bread. So he was really working in a commoditized category, but telling that end user, the baker, this sack of flour is going to make more bread at the end. It's going to make you more profitable as a baker. And so you know, that, that's a, a kind of theme that has carried through as well. And just now, you know, the, the problems we're solving are, you know, family pleasing meal on Thursday night when everyone's tired and it's a busy work week, you know, and we've really tried to keep that consumer value and that consumer win at mm-hmm. the center of what we do. I love that because it's, you're not even just landing on like the food on the table. You're thinking beyond that, right? It's what I love about being in food is that it is literal, quite literally central to everything that we do. And if I if I know everything that you've eaten in the last two weeks, I know a heck of a lot about you and your life and what's going on. And I think we also mm-hmm. attribute a lot of emotions and connections and relationships to around the food. So it's not just that, you know, whatever dinner was tasty. It is also that mom felt pretty good about it. The kids felt seen, et cetera. And also, everybody has dogs. That's what the pandemic taught us, and it's okay. <laughs> everybody does have dogs. Not every dog, everybody's dogs bark, so I'm hoping mine does not again. So One of the things that I've realized is I used to think I wanted an active dog, and we, we rescued a dog three years ago that might be the laziest dog in history, and it might turn out that that's perfect for us. <laughs> he wants nothing more than just be under a blanket, and it's pretty chill. Oh my god, that's that's the best. That's the best. So I'm gonna think, uh, cross my fingers, and hope that my dog does not bark again. So let's move on. Um, tell me, you know, we live in this era, obviously, of social profile and sort of what we pre- present to the world. Yeah. Um, tell me something that people wouldn't know about you just by reading your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, I think the first thing that surprises people when they get to know me is that I'm an introvert. And um, and and so I think especially being in this role, it is very important for me that I'm accessible at work, that you know I'm comfortable on a stage in front of people, but I just don't derive my energy from people. And so as my career has progressed, and I've needed to be more and more visible to people. I think that particular aspect of my personality has become more and more salient to me. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's easy to manage. It's just about creating the time and the space for it. But I think people would see me uh, on LinkedIn or, you know, on a stage or something like that and think, oh, it's great. He, he loves being around people all the time. Well, it's interesting because I do think chief marketing officers are probably that role in companies that has taken on in, some, in many respects, not all respects, but many of the people who have that title have taken on the role of being the front facing uh, person for the organization or for the company, yeah. right? And they've had to, you know, personal profile, visibility, all those things have become certainly to some companies, um, you know, if not an expectation, then encouraged. And then other individuals actually just thrive on that, right? And they feel right. like that's something that, um, you know, 
they want, you know, they want to identify their thought leadership and their personal brands. And, and sometimes that can very much dovetail with, with the work of a company. I think, I think there's a lot of ways to think about that, but I do think, and honestly, we talk about it with brands, but authenticity is just so key and showing up sort of how you want and where you want and when you want and in the way you want, I would imagine for, um, for CMOs and you in particular matters, right? I mean, how do you make those decisions? I think it matters a lot. And I think, you know, my internal tension point is always like, I don't want this to be about me. But what I do want is by being out in the world and by connecting with people and being in places like this is for people to look at that and say, hey, that might be a place that I'd like to work. It sounds like they're doing some fun things. Definitely. And so I think to the extent that I can be myself and be open about the fact that like there's a whole lot of flaws here and I haven't got it all figured out, but we're trying to create an environment. We, we, you know, we started talking about learning. We are trying to create an environment where we all have to constantly learn. I'm hoping that that connects with people who say, yeah, I, I could be a part of that. Like, I think the complexity of what we are doing in marketing right now is such that anyone who is telling you that they think they have it all figured out is probably lying to you and not to be trusted. And so I think if we just lean into the learning together and admit that no one has it all figured out, then we will we will progress together. Hundred uh, percent, couldn't agree more. You are, regardless, CMOs are such vital leaders in company in their companies, right? They are there's such critical business leaders, and I think that you know in recent years we've been able to shine a spotlight on that. Obviously. It can be sometimes easier, sometimes more difficult to connect dots between brand growth and, and company performance, right? So, I mean, that's sort of the the holy grail I think everybody continues to look for. But as a leader within your organization, you know, how would you define your leadership style? And what's one thing that sort of you learned earlier in your life that defines you as a leader or has really sort of been something you've carried through into the way you lead and sort of the way you um um, support your teams and also collaborate with your C-suite peers. Yeah. I mean, there's a, we talked for a full hour on that. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I would say first and foremost, I want my leadership style to be, I would say, inviting and, and collaborative. And by inviting, I mean invitation to participate, right? It, it, one of the things I realized very quickly in this job is I don't actually do anything. Right. The only thing that I can do is help to create the conditions for other people to do great work. You know, General Mills is a house of brands. We have very strong brand leaders on all of our, you know, Cheerios, Pilsner, whatever it is. They're making the choices that will advance those brands for the next, in some cases, 75 years. What I am trying to do is provide provocations and capabilities for once they have made those decisions to advance the brands. Mm. And so I, that's what I focus on. And then the other thing that I would say is that I've realized over and over and over again that there is no end of the rainbow for simplification. In a world where things are so complex, the more that I can think about boiling down some of the key challenges, the better. And then once you've boiled them down, repetition. You know, I'm in every room that I'm in. So sometimes I'm like, oh my God, are people not sick of me saying this? But no one else is in all those same rooms. So the, the more that we can get down to simple things like we talk over and over and over again about solve problems, deliver joy, right? If we can, through our brands, solve real human problems and deliver joy to our consumers, we're going to win in the long term. And, and there's no number of times that I can say that, that that's too many. And it's those kind of things that I think are helpful 
when you're dealing with a complex, highly matrix organization in, you know, whatever it is, 26 categories that we operate in. Huge. Um, similar but different. Uh, selfishly, I grew up playing soccer. I'll use that as a framework. Or you can pick your sport. Your player on a field. Are you the striker at the at the at the front of the team, uh, aiming to score goals? Are you at the midfield line, trying to sort of basically be that you know strategic person in the middle who's sort of like supporting the strikers and also you know an added layer of defense? Or are you at defensive line, trying to protect the goal from you know the offensive player coming in and scoring? Well, I love this question, and I will caveat my answer by saying I literally just got into soccer in the last World Cup, and was like, super, it was fabulous. <laughs> I was like, before that, I was the guy who was like, I don't get it. There's not that much scoring. And then I watched every game. I'm like, there's so much drama. So the point being, my my knowledge of soccer is incomplete at facts. But I think, I think I would be a midfielder hoping to distribute the ball to, you know, to see how the opposing uh, defense is constructed and distribute the ball to the people who then, you know, can score and do that thing where they slide on grass like it looks like ice, which I don't know about. I, I have knees. And I've fallen before. I just don't know how people ever get back from that. But anyways, it looks great. <laughs> I love that. From a functional standpoint, who are your best collaborators? You know, who are you working yeah, yeah. arm in arm with um, yeah. on a day-to-day basis and why? I mean, obviously, in, in our organization, um, the brand management function is, is sort of, I think of as my central um, client that I'm trying to serve. But increasingly, and this won't be surprising, you know, the, the lines are being blurred so much between what we would call traditional media and retail media. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I find myself really uh, kind of hand in hand oftentimes with someone who we have leading sort of sales capabilities. Yep. There is no, you know, it's like, what is e-commerce? Is that sales? Is it marketing? Of course, it's both. And so I think incredible collaboration on that side of things has been really critical for me. Yeah. Um what scares you most as a business leader? Obviously, we're living in very rocky times, you know, financially, things that are happening in the world. But, you know, when you wake up, um, what would you say is your biggest fear? Because everybody has something they fear. And and what do you do to overcome that? I mean, if we were to eliminate my biggest fear that the last of us is actually real and we're going to be taken over by some, like, dangerous (laughs) mushrooms, if we were to put that aside. Yes. I, which I think we should, because I don't think I could do anything about that. <laughs> I do. I worry about our consumer sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if we all listen to the news every single day, and I guess right now, if we we're to call it on 222, it seems like a quote unquote soft landing for the economy as a whole is increasingly possible. But that is not anyone's actual lived experience. And one of the things that we're seeing right now is it is the most, um, cash-strapped consumers who are already having to change their behaviors the most. The, the, this potential mm-hmm. theoretical recession is real for people right now. And for people, I mean a lot of people. And so that's why I think we are trying to talk this year internally as much as possible about the value that we can deliver to folks beyond a price point. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I think about a box of cereal as 14 breakfasts as opposed to a box of cereal and how can we help people waste less food, make a bunch of meals out of similar ingredients, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I worry about, um, you know, consumers every day and the challenges that they're facing with their grocery budgets. What, um, 
you know, you're in the middle of, you're in middle America, middle, Midwest, right in, right in the middle. I mean, you know, your core consumers are, of course, all over the country, all over the world, but you have that unique lens and what are advertisers, marketers getting wrong? What do you still feel where, where do you, in what areas do you still feel that perhaps brand marketers and agencies are falling down um, and not getting it right in terms of, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of focus and gravitation to the coast. How do we think about making sure that we're looking holistically at, at our consumer base, you know, as advertisers, as marketers en masse in a really productive way? I mean, I, I would say two things. Number one, um, and this has been said, I think the quote is something like, consumers don't tell other people about your brand because they love your brand. They tell them because they love their friends. And so putting the the brand is why we are here and delivering value to the brand is what my my team and I need to focus on all the time. But we have to do that through the lens of a win for the consumer. So th that's number one. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is, you know, you you have to have a, a discerning eye between like what is written about in the popular press in terms of food trends mm -hmm. and the reality for most Americans. And so people always want to talk about what the next big trend is, whatever that food ingredient is. And those things are interesting. And there's always a group of people who are going to follow those trends. But we have huge mainstream brands. And you know, there's a, a group that we bring in once a year who, who literally through a longitudinal panel breaks down what people are eating in America. And the punchline is they're eating what they ate last year mm -hmm. and they're eating what they ate the year before that. And they're eating what they ate the year before that. And so I think what we are trying to do or what I think is always a huge win is how do you take what people want to do, are comfortable doing and make it a little bit better for them? Mm, That's mm -hmm. where you see, I think, biz big businesses be created. You Can know, you give me an example? Is there? I'll give you a you perfect example. Sure. Um, I want to eat. I'm comfortable eating uh, popcorn, but I'm bored with it. Well, guess mm. what? We just have the Super Bowl commercial popcorners. Like, mm. who thought that the world needed a new way to eat popcorn? Mm -hmm. You know, if you were to go look at like unmet needs, that wouldn't be on the list. But guess what? They're in triangle shapes and they're delightful. Now it's a big <laughs> business. You know, how do we? Um, bring a meal to the table with a Pillsbury ingredient that allows you to cut out three hours of prep that nobody has, but it's pretty darn close. You know, people really want those comforting foods, but they want to do it in a way that fits within their lifestyle. How does that, so earlier in this conversation, you talked about you oversee innovation. Basically, mm. you oversee arguably a skunk works. Yeah. You're like sort of looking. Yeah. 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 So I would think about it as different new businesses that we're trying to build, not the kind of core innovation that was very grooved at a company like General Mills. Okay. So what you just referenced is that which, which one is, which kind of innovation is that? And then. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, if it's in a core category, leveraging our core brands, that would be the, the mainstream innovation. Got it. I think what we are doing, and we call it G-Works, which I love, is we're starting with, we've boiled down all the kind of problems to solve in food to 10 very basic problems. And if I said any one of them, you wouldn't be surprised. It'd be like, I'm trying to lose weight, or I have a particular health condition that I'm trying to manage. You start with a core problem and then look for unsolved needs within that. So classic example of I want to do what I've always been doing, but I, I want it to be better for me is in G-Works, we started a brand called Good Measure that is targeting diabetic Americans, which is mm. a huge group of people. 
Guess what diabetics want to eat? They want to eat all the same convenient snacks that everyone else does. Sure. But we just need to deliver them in a way that has a very low glycemic response. You know, you don't want to be different. It's not like the day you get that diagnosis, you've all of a sudden got more time to carve up all of your own fresh made snacks. And so how can we leverage all of the great expertise that we have in food science to make it convenient and easy for you? Love that. We, um, at Adweek, you know, health and wellness marketing, I mean, that's such a big category and thinking about how not just, you know, health brands like that are squarely in the health category, but obviously any sort of tension, any sort of health adjacent or wellness adjacent brands, you know, and thinking about how to best navigate that that territory. I mean, because when you start to get into that, I mean, that's truly about servicing and, and supporting a given individual's health needs, you know, and I yep. know that food traditionally has always done that caloric counts and everything else. But what you just described with the diabetic, you know, targeting and supporting diabetics, I mean, that that gets into a new level of, of health support, right, which is really so vital, no pun intended, but so necessary. Um, and I can imagine to get that right, there's 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 tremendous opportunity for the consumers and obviously for you all as well. A hundred percent. And a tremendous, a tremendous responsibility. I yeah. think, you know, we are very serious about it. if we say this is how it's going to impact you, then we're sure of it. And that's what we bring to the table, I think, with the, the history and the expertise that we have. We'll be back with more Marketing Vanguard after this quick break. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Doug, um, <laughs> so Doug, um, now let's talk about inspiration. Obviously, I, you know, I've talked to so many CMOs over the years who have said that, you know, if they were honest, the one thing that they are constantly seeking and sometimes lack is inspiration. Because I mean, this is a job where you need to apply, obviously, certainly, you know, your head, but obviously, the heart and that creativity that is not going away. If anything, it's just needing to manifest in vastly different ways. And obviously, you know, CMOs have their agency partners, and they have other partners um, that they can work with, you know, a lot of companies have internal uh, agencies. But for you personally, you know, you have to have, I would imagine, you know, applying your creative mind is important and also getting inspiration, especially around the work that you do and the brands that you oversee has got to be key for you. So where do you go? What do you listen to? What do you do? You know, where do you engage to kind of have that source of inspiration? Well, yeah, I think it's a constant, right? And one of the things we talk about within my function, the brand experience function, is that our work is inherently cultural. It is only 
it can only be taken through the lens, the cultural lens in which people receive it. And as you said, we are a Midwestern company, so we are not in a the most representative, diverse melting pot of America right here. So I think one of the things that I talk about is as opposed to, you know, particular Wharton professors or thinkers like Adam Grant, who I love, mm-hmm. I, I talk to the team about like, be aware of what is going on in culture. Be aware of what popular TV shows, music, et cetera, is going on. You should not be surprised to find out the Bad Bunny is a big deal. <laughs> and that's actually difficult because, you know, we each experience the world through a lens that is our own unique. I always say, what's going on on your internet? You know, like, what are the memes that you are seeing? What what are people talking about? That is a slice so of true. the world that is representative of your friend circle. And so it is a, a constant trouble, struggle to make sure that you are also getting a view of that slice of the world through the lens of the mom in L.A. who has three children or the, you know, mom in New York. And so it is expose yourself to as much as possible and do it in ways that are enjoyable, right? It doesn't all have to be a white paper. It could be that you're watching a show with subtitles on Netflix, and that counts too, because everybody's got to have some downtime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. You know, what is your internet? You know, what does your internet look like? Because it's so true. Everything's so highly personalized now that there there's very little that is consistent across the board. I mean, everything's just so individual. Um, so yeah, getting your head around that is is so key. Uh, let's talk a little bit about real quick about metrics. You know, obviously, as we move into this new era of CMO, the the and this has always been true, but obviously, this continues to get even more true. Um, having that conversation, being able to align with your CFO and your CEO, and in some cases, your board, you know, around around business growth is just so key. And so metrics are what matter and are what are at the core of that conversation. What are the metrics that matter to you? What are the metrics that matter to your CFO and your CEO? And in that Venn diagram, where do they connect? Yeah, you know, you already mentioned the fact that there's like a whatever 22 month shelf life on a CMO. And I think part of what's driving that is a disconnect in metrics. And I always say, you know, your CFO is asking financial questions. And if you don't have a financial answer, then you two are not going to have a great conversation. And so we've been down rabbit holes together as an industry where we like to talk about things like likes or how many friends do we have yeah. on Facebook. And those were things that just did not connect. What I So obviously, we need to focus on the efficiency of our marketing. We need to focus on the ROI. I think the challenge is that some of our very best and tightest metrics also tend to be some of our more short-term metrics. Mm -hmm. And so we can have a great conversation about, okay, here was X number of million dollars that we spent. Here's the ROI. That was a good bet, et cetera. And then we're talking in that financial language. But I feel like the salience of those short-term metrics and the quality of them can make it hard to compare those versus some of the long-term metrics that get a little squishier. Mm-hmm. And as I said, like we are a house of brands. We do not make private label food. We are here because we make branded food and we think we make it differentially. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be nurturing the brand strength as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, I don't think we have the perfect metric for for brand love and we're we're continuously working on that. I think in we have one, but in its place the most predictive metric from my standpoint for future success is household penetration growth. Mm. 
Mm. To the extent that, hey, we know we're making a quality product consistently and people like it when we eat it. We have tons of data that can show us whether we're doing that well or not. So then if that is true, if we're bringing new households into the brand right now and we know they're having a good experience, then we know that they'll be back in the future. And so I think thinking about households is incredibly important to us as well. Yep. We learn as much from our mistakes, uh, missteps, and failures as we do our wins. I think the CMO community in general is hungry for more examples of where where mistakes have happened and, and what people have learned from them. I mean, I've had people come to me and say directly, I, I'm just, I'm sick and tired of hearing all the wonderful stories. I yeah, want right. to hear about the yeah. things that don't work because we're all dealing with it. And you you mentioned earlier, I mean, anybody who's saying they've got it all under control, they've got it all figured out is lying because yeah. it's just too complex and ever changing. Is there an example of, of a misstep you've made um, that you learned from and that was just incredible learning that you've been able to take forward? Uh, I mean, so many. <laughs> but uh, I will say one that it was a misstep where I, I learned a lot. And also, I just felt like it was such a such a mistake in terms of the opportunity that was squandered. So when I was leading our, our yogurt business, we have YoPlay Light. And YoPlay Light had been a, uh, a massive business in, in the past, if you think about the diet trends of, of the 90s. Mm-hmm. And it had gotten smaller, but it was still a very, real, very significant chunk of business for a, a significant portion of the population. And we said... Okay, I think we need to reinvent what is light yogurt for a modern weight manager. Mm. And we really immersed ourselves in like, how is this person thinking about weight management and what do they think about? And and we created a product that I still think is the best yogurt that we make. And we have since discontinued it. But it was called YQ. Mm. And it had great... Um, ingredients. It had great macros, but I got caught up in this, in what people were saying back to me about the way they wanted to manage their weight. You know, people talk about like, no, I need a brand that represents my lifestyle. It's more of a feeling. I don't want to be told this, that, or the other thing. And so we created this brand YQ that was sort of like a vibe Mm -hmm. that didn't really hit home yeah, but here's what it does for you. And here's how it's different from the other yeah. yogurts that you're eating. And it was delicious and thick and creamy. And my brilliant people in ITQ who work with me made such a good yogurt. And because we made it too esoteric, yeah, it just didn't connect. And so mm. I think that's a balance that I've I've really thought a lot about since. It's like, yeah, you don't want to be out there in the world just being like, three grams of fat and tons of protein. Like that's boring and not building up a brand that has meaning. But at the same point in time, people need to know what they need to know to make a decision. So I think especially with a new product, I'd be more focused on telling them the what early on, but having a thoughtful plan to bring along the brand meaning at the same place. And I sort of put the cart before the horse Yep. And, and saw what was an awesome product never really resonate because guess what? No one else in America was spending as much time thinking about YQ yogurt as I was. <laughs> and so you got to you got to cut through pretty quick. And so that's another kind of. But you fall in love. You fall in love with concepts. Completely. You fall in love with products. You you know, yeah. they're, they're and your you babies. So. With, you fall in love with what people tell you when you're spending 40 minutes talking to them about yogurt which you don't have the opportunity to do when they're shopping at Kroger on a busy Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, I love that. Great, great, great example. Um, 
So obviously the name of the podcast is Marketing Vanguard. And, you know, if if the literal definition of Vanguard is a group of people leading the way in new developments or ideas, what's an example of a development or an idea that you have had that has led the way for your company or for the industry? I mean, it's hard to point to something. I will say for my company, what I am trying to do is keep us squarely grounded in the idea that we are building brands with meaning and brands with purpose, but that we also have to be flexible enough to use every tool that's coming at us to what I call capture demand, right? And so what I realized early in this job is we started thinking about, um, you know, we have so much data, we have all this information, we know that this household is purchasing you know, yo play three times a week. We know sometimes they purchase Lucky Charms, but if we could give them this incentive at this moment in time, then we could get an additional Lucky Charms purchase. And what I realized was the more that I talked about that, the people who were a little further removed from me in the company started to wonder, yeah, but does does Doug care as much about purpose, mm. right? And for me, in my head, I was thinking, hey, we're really good at purchase, pur- purpose. Here's some new stuff that we need to go do and it was imbalanced. Hmm. And so what I am really trying to focus on is, I call it, you know, we need to do what we need to do to take advantage of tools that are out there to capture the demand that exists right now, Hmm. while also making sure we are creating the long-term demand. Love it. And so when I talk about purpose versus performance, that that got too binary. And it's really about all the demand that's out there over a time continuum and making sure we're relevant now and into the future. Unbelievable. Fantastic. Um, Such great learnings uh, for everybody who's listening. Um, Doug, I've loved this so much. Uh, With this podcast, we have a a bit of a a spirit of of pay it forward or or sort of push the ball down the field to to go back to the sports analogy. But my question to you or last question to you is what who's next? You know, who would be the next CMO or industry leader that you would recommend we interview for Marketing Vanguard? Well, I got to tell you, I just got together with a group of uh, people in positions like mine, and we were talking about the thing that everyone is talking about, which is AI. Mm-hmm. And uh, spending an hour with 50 colleagues and thinking about the implications to the way teams like ours work was mind-blowing. Mm. So, And I can tell you from the attendance versus other topics that come up, people are interested at all levels. So I would say anybody who is out there enabling people to spend more time focusing on the parts of their work where being a person matters oh, and yeah. less time on the parts of the work where you just got to get it done is, a, is I think, a, a topic that we're all going to be talking about for a long time. You know, this for me is the year that AI is going to start to meaningfully impact the way that we work on a lot of stuff. And so that's the place where, again, we started this inf- this interview talking about learning that's the place that I'm most focused on learning right now. As we put our budgets together for our next fiscal year, what stuff do we not need a person to do anymore? And what, where can they then focus that time? It's not about getting rid of people. It's about making people impactful where people make a difference. And so I will tune in to any podcast that has an answer to that question. We will get that done. Thank you for that directive and that suggestion. Um, And what an incredible way of looking at that. If we could just parse out and really get laser clarity on where we need people. Um, I mean, another yet another shift for marketers to uh, spend their time focused on. So Doug, thank you so, so much for being here. Thanks for being part of Marketing Vanguard. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon.
Well, it was a delight and I appreciate it. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.